Section 4 of The Chorus Girl and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish. The Chorus Girl and Other Stories by Anton Chekhov. Translated by Constance Garnett. My Life. The Story of a Provincial. Part 2. One day after dinner, he ran breathless into the lodge and said, Go along, your sister has come. I went out, and there I found a hired brake from the town standing before the entrance of the great house. My sister had come in it with Anuta Blagovo and a gentleman in a military tunic. Going up closer, I recognized the latter. It was the brother of Anuta Blagova, the army doctor. "'We have come to you for a picnic,' he said. "'Is that all right?' My sister and Anuta wanted to ask how I was getting on here, but both were silent and simply gazed at me. I was silent, too. They saw that I did not like the place, and tears came into my sister's eyes, while Anuta Blagova turned crimson. We went into the garden. The doctor walked ahead of us all and said enthusiastically, What air! Holy mother! What air! In appearance he was still a student, and he walked and talked like a student, and the expression of his grey eyes was as keen, honest, and frank as a nice student's. Beside his tall and handsome sister, he looked frail and thin. And his beard was thin, too, and his voice, too, was a thin but rather agreeable tenor. He was serving in a regiment somewhere, and had come home to his people for a holiday, and said he was going in the autumn to Petersburg for his examination as a doctor of medicine, he was already a family man, with a wife and three children, and had married very young, in his second year at the university, and now people in the town said he was unhappy in his family life, and was not living with his wife. "'What time is it?' my sister asked uneasily. "'We must get back in good time. Papa let me come to see my brother on condition I was back at six. "'Oh, bother your papa!' sighed the doctor. I set the samovar. We put down a carpet before the veranda of the great house and had our tea there, and the doctor knelt down, drank out of his saucer, and declared that he now knew what bliss was. Then Cheprakov came with the key and opened the glass door, and we all went into the house. There it was, half dark and mysterious, and smelt of mushrooms, and our footsteps had a hollow sound as though there were cellars under the floor. The doctor stopped and touched the keys of the piano, and it responded faintly with a husky, quivering, but melodious chord. He tried his voice and sang a song, frowning and tapping impatiently with his foot when some note was mute. My sister did not talk about going home, but walked about the rooms and kept saying, How happy I am! How happy I am! 
there was a note of astonishment in her voice as though it seemed to her incredible that she too could feel light-hearted it was the first time in my life i had seen her so happy she actually looked prettier in profile she did not look nice her nose and mouth seemed to stick out and had an expression as though she were pouting but she had beautiful dark eyes a pale very delicate complexion and a touching expression of goodness and melancholy and when she talked she seemed charming and even beautiful we both she and i took after our mother were broad-shouldered strongly built and capable of endurance but her pallor was a sign of ill health she often had a cough and i sometimes caught in her face that look one sees in people who are seriously ill but for some reason conceal the fact there was something naive and childish in her gaiety now as though the joy that had been suppressed and smothered in our childhood by harsh education had now suddenly awakened in her soul and found a free outlet but when evening came on and the horses were brought round my sister sank into silence and looked thin and shrunken and she got into the brake as though she were going to the scaffold when they had all gone and the sound had died away i remembered that anuta blagovo had not said a word to me all day she is a wonderful girl i thought wonderful girl st peter's fast came and we had nothing but lenten dishes every day i was weighed down by physical depression due to idleness and my unsettled position and dissatisfied with myself listless and hungry i lounged about the garden and only waited for a suitable mood to go away towards evening one day when radish was sitting in the lodge dolzhikov very sunburnt and grey with dust walked in unexpectedly he had been spending three days on his land and had come now to dubechnia by the steamer and walked to us from the station while waiting for the carriage which was to come for him from the town he walked round the grounds with his bailiff giving orders in a loud voice then sat for a whole hour in our lodge writing letters while he was there telegrams came for him and he himself tapped off the answers we three stood in silence at attention what a model he said glancing contemptuously at a record book in a fortnight i am transferring the office to the station and i don't know what i am to do with you my friends i do my best your honour said chaprakov to be sure i see how you do your best the only thing you can do is to take your salary the engineer went on looking at me you keep relying on patronage to faire la carriere as quickly and as easily as possible well i don't care for patronage no one took any trouble on my behalf before they gave me a railway contract i went about as a mechanic and worked in belgium as an oiler and you pantelet 
"'What are you doing here?' he asked, turning to Radish. "'Drinking with them?' He, for some reason, always called humble people Pantelei, and such as me and Chepraков he despised and called them drunkards, beasts, and rabble to their faces. Altogether he was cruel to humble subordinates, and used to fine them and turn them off coldly without explanations. At last the horses came for him. As he said goodbye, he promised to turn us all off in a fortnight. He called his bailiff a blockhead, and then, lolling at ease in his carriage, drove back to the town. Andrey Ivanch, I said to Radish, take me on as a workman. Oh, all right. And we set off together in the direction of the town. When the station and the big house with its buildings were left behind, I asked, Andrey Ivanch, why did you come to Dubechny this evening? In the first place, my fellows are working on the line, and in the second place, I came to pay the general's lady my interest. Last year I borrowed fifty roubles from her, and I pay her now a rouble a month interest. The painter stopped and took me by the button. Misail Alexeyitch, our angel, he went on. The way I look at it is that if any man, gentle or simple, takes even the smallest interest, he is doing evil. There cannot be truth and justice in such a man. Radish, lean, pale, dreadful-looking, shut his eyes, shook his head, and, in the tone of a philosopher, pronounced, Lice consume the grass, rust consumes the iron, and lying the soul. Lord, have mercy upon us sinners. Radish was not practical and was not at all good at forming an estimate. He took more work than he could get through, and when calculating he was agitated, lost his head, and so was almost always out of pocket over his jobs. He undertook painting, glazing, paper hanging, and even tiling roofs, and I can remember his running about for three days to find tilers for the sake of a paltry job. He was a first-rate workman. He sometimes earned as much as ten roubles a day, and if it had not been for the desire at all costs to be a master and to be called a contractor, he would probably have had plenty of money. He was paid by the job, but he paid me and the other workmen by the day, from one and twopence to two shillings a day. When it was fine and dry, we did all kinds of outside work, chiefly painting roofs. When I was new to the work, it made my feet burn as though I were walking on hot bricks, and when I put on felt boots, they were hotter than ever. But this was only at first. Later on, I got used to it, and everything went swimmingly. I was living now among people to whom labor was obligatory, inevitable, and who worked like cart-horses, often with no idea of the moral significance of labor, and indeed never using the word labor in conversation at all. 
beside them i too felt like a cart-horse growing more and more imbued with the feeling of the obligatory and inevitable character of what i was doing and this made my life easier setting me free from all doubt and uncertainty at first everything interested me everything was new as though i had been born again i could sleep on the ground and go about barefoot and that was extremely pleasant i could stand in a crowd of the common people and be no constraint to anyone and when a cab horse fell down in the street i ran to help it up without being afraid of soiling my clothes and the best of it all was i was living on my own account and no burden to anyone painting roofs especially with our own oil and colors was regarded as a particularly profitable job and so this rough dull work was not disdained even by such good workmen as radish in short breeches and wasted purple-looking legs he used to go about the roofs looking like a stork and i used to hear him as he plied his brush breathing heavily and saying woe woe to us sinners he walked about the roofs as freely as though he were upon the ground in spite of his being ill and pale as a corpse his agility was extraordinary he used to paint the domes and cupolas of the churches without scaffolding like a young man with only the help of a ladder and a rope and it was rather horrible when standing on a height far from the earth he would draw himself up erect and for some unknown reason pronounce lice consume grass rust consumes iron and lying the soul or thinking about something would answer his thoughts aloud anything may happen anything may happen when i went home from my work all the people who were sitting on benches by the gates all the shopmen and boys and their employers made sneering and spiteful remarks after me and this upset me at first and seemed to be simply monstrous better than nothing i heard on all sides house painter yellow ochre and none behaved so ungraciously to me as those who had only lately been humble people themselves and had earned their bread by hard manual labor in the streets full of shops i was once passing an ironmonger's when water was thrown over me as though by accident and on one occasion someone darted out with a stick at me while a fishmonger a grey-headed old man barred my way and said looking at me angrily i am not sorry for you you fool it's your father i'm sorry for and my acquaintances were for some reason overcome with embarrassment when they met me some of them looked upon me as a queer fish and a comic fool others were sorry for me others did not know what attitude to take up to me and it was difficult to make them out one day i met anuta blagova in a side street near great dvoryansky street i was going to work and was carrying two long brushes and a pail of paint recognizing me anuta flushed crimson please do not bow to me in the street she said nervously, harshly, and in a shaking voice, without offering me her hand, and tears suddenly gleamed in her eyes. If to your mind all this is necessary, so be it. 
so be it, but I beg you not to meet me. I no longer lived in Great Dvoryansky Street, but in the suburb with my old nurse Karpovna, a good-natured but gloomy old woman who always foreboded some harm, was afraid of all dreams, and even in the bees and wasps that flew into her room saw omens of evil, and the fact that I had become a workman, to her thinking, boded nothing good. "'Your life is ruined,' she would say, mournfully shaking her head. "'Ruined!' Her adopted son, Prokofi, a huge, uncouth, red-headed fellow of thirty, with bristling moustaches, a butcher by trade, lived in the little house with her. When he met me in the passage, he would make way for me in respectful silence, and if he was drunk, he would salute me with all five fingers at once. He used to have supper in the evening, and through the partition wall of boards I could hear him clear his throat and sigh as he drank off glass after glass. Mama, he would call in an undertone. Well, Karpovna, who was passionately devoted to her adopted son, would respond, What is it, Sonny? I can show you a testimony of my affection, Mama. All this earthly life I will cherish you in your declining years, in this vale of tears, and when you die I will bury you at my expense. I have said it, and you can believe it. I got up every morning before sunrise and went to bed early. We house painters ate a great deal and slept soundly. The only thing amiss was that my heart used to beat violently at night. I did not quarrel with my mates. Violent abuse, desperate oaths and wishes such as blast your eyes or cholera take you never ceased all day, but nevertheless we lived on very friendly terms. The other fellows suspected me of being some sort of religious sectary and made good-natured jokes at my expense, saying that even my own father had disowned me, and thereupon would add that they rarely went into the temple of God themselves, and that many of them had not been to confession for ten years. They justified this laxity on their part by saying that a painter among men was like a jackdaw among birds. The men had a good opinion of me and treated me with respect. It was evident that my not drinking, not smoking, but leading a quiet, steady life pleased them very much. It was only an unpleasant shock to them that I took no hand in stealing oil and did not go with them to ask for tips from people on whose property we were working. Stealing oil and paints from those who employed them was a house painter's custom, and was not regarded as theft, and it was remarkable that even so upright a man as Radish would always carry away a little white lead and oil as he went home from work. 
and even the most respectable old fellows who owned the houses in which they lived in the suburb were not ashamed to ask for a tip and it made me feel vexed and ashamed to see the men go in a body to congratulate some nonentity on the commencement of the completion of the job and thank him with degrading servility when they had received a few coppers with people on whose work they were engaged they behaved like wily courtiers and almost every day i was reminded of shakespeare's polonius i fancy it is going to rain the man whose house was being painted would say looking at the sky it is there is not a doubt it is the painters would agree i don't think it is a rain cloud though perhaps it won't rain after all no it won't your honor i'm sure it won't but their attitude to their patrons behind their backs was usually one of irony and when they saw for instance a gentleman sitting in the veranda reading a newspaper they would observe he reads the paper but i dare say he has nothing to eat i never went home to see my own people when i came back from work i often found waiting for me little notes brief and anxious in which my sister wrote to me about my father that he had been particularly preoccupied at dinner and had eaten nothing or that he had been giddy and staggering or that he had locked himself in his room and had not come out for a long time such items of news troubled me i could not sleep and at times even walked up and down great dvoryansky street at night by our house looking in at the dark windows and trying to guess whether everything was well at home on sundays my sister came to see me but came in secret as though it were not to see me but our nurse and if she came in to see me she was very pale with tear-stained eyes and she began crying at once our father will never live through this she would say if anything should happen to him god grant it may not your conscience will torment you all your life it's awful misail for our mother's sake i beseech you reform your ways my darling sister i would say how can i reform my ways if i am convinced that i am acting in accordance with my conscience do understand i know you are acting on your conscience but perhaps it could be done differently somehow so as not to wound anybody ah holy saints the old woman sighed through the door your life is ruined there will be trouble my dears there will be trouble one sunday dr blagovo turned up unexpectedly he was wearing a military tunic over a silk shirt and high boots of patent leather i have come to see you he began shaking my hand heartily like a student I'm hearing about you every day, and I have been meaning to come and have a heart-to-heart -heart talk, as they say. The boredom in the town is awful. There is not a living soul, not one to say a word to. It's hot, holy mother, he went on, 
taking off his tunic and sitting in his silk shirt my dear fellow let me talk to you i was dull myself and had for a long time been craving for the society of someone not a house painter i was genuinely glad to see him i'll begin by saying he said sitting down on my bed that i sympathize with you from the bottom of my heart and deeply respect the life you are leading they don't understand you here in the town and indeed there is no one to understand seeing that as you know they are all with very few exceptions regular gogolesque pig faces here but i saw what you were at once that time at the picnic you are a noble soul an honest high-minded man i respect you and feel it a great honor to shake hands with you he went on enthusiastically to have made such a complete and violent change of life as you have done you must have passed through a complicated spiritual crisis and to continue this manner of life now and to keep up to the high standard of your convictions continually must be a strain on your mind and heart from day to day now to begin our talk tell me don't you consider that if you had spent your strength of will this strained activity all these powers on something else for instance on gradually becoming a great scientist or artist your life would have been broader and deeper and would have been more productive we talked and when we got upon manual labor i expressed this idea that what is wanted is that the strong should not enslave the weak that the minority should not be a parasite on the majority nor a vampire for ever sucking its vital sap that is all without exception strong and weak rich and poor should take part equally in the struggle for existence each one on his own account and that there was no better means for equalizing things in that way than manual labor in the form of universal service compulsory for all then do you think every one without exception ought to engage in manual labor asked the doctor yes and don't you think that if every one including the best men the thinkers and great scientists taking part in the struggle for existence each on his own account are going to waste their time breaking stones and painting roofs may not that threaten a grave danger to progress where is the danger i asked why progress is in deeds of love in fulfilling the moral law if you don't enslave anyone if you don't oppress anyone what further progress do you want but excuse me blagova suddenly fired up rising to his feet but excuse me if a snail in its shell busied itself over perfecting its own personality and muddles about with the moral law do you call that progress why muddles i said offended if you don't force your neighbor to feed and clothe you to transport you from place to place and defend you from your enemies surely in the midst of a life entirely resting on slavery that is progress isn't it to my mind it is the most important progress and perhaps the only one possible and necessary for man 
the limits of universal world progress are an infinity and to talk of some possible progress limited by our needs and temporary theories is excuse my saying so positively strange if the limits of progress are an infinity as you say it follows that its aims are not definite i said to live without knowing definite what they are living for so be it but that's not knowing is not so dull as your knowing i am going up a ladder which is called progress civilization culture i go on and up without knowing definitely where i am going but really it is worth living for the sake of that delightful ladder while you know what you are living for you live for the sake of some people's not enslaving others that the artist and the man who rubs his paints may dine equally well but you know that's the petty bourgeois kitchen grey side of life and surely it is revolting to live for that alone if some insects do enslave others bother them let them devour each other we need not think about them you know they will die and decay just the same however zealously you rescue them from slavery we must think of that great millennium which awaits humanity in the remote future blagovo argued warmly with me but at the same time one could see he was troubled by some irrelevant idea i suppose your sister is not coming he said looking at his watch she was at your house yesterday and said she would be seeing you today you keep saying slavery slavery he went on but you know that is a special question and all such questions are solved by humanity gradually we began talking of doing things gradually i said that the question of doing good or evil every one settles for himself without waiting till humanity settles it by the way of gradual development moreover this gradual progress has more than one aspect side by side with the gradual development of human ideas the gradual growth of ideas of another order is observed serfdom is no more but the capitalist system is growing and in the very heyday of emancipating ideas just as in the days of baddy the majority feeds clothes and defends the minority while remaining hungry inadequately clad and defenseless such an order of things can be made to fit in finely with any tendencies and currents of thought you like because the art of enslaving is also gradually being cultivated we no longer flog our servants in the stable but we give to slavery refined forms at least we succeed in finding a justification for it in each particular case ideas are ideas with us but if now at the end of the nineteenth century it were possible to lay the burden of the most unpleasant of our physiological functions upon the working class we should certainly do so and afterwards of course justify ourselves by saying that if the best people the thinkers and great scientists were to waste their precious time on these functions progress might be menaced with great danger but at this point my sister arrived seeing the doctor she was fluttered and troubled and began saying immediately that it was time for her to go home to her father cleopatra alexeyevna 
said Blagovo earnestly, pressing both hands to his heart. What will happen to your father if you spend half an hour or so with your brother and me? He was frank. He knew how to communicate his liveliness to others. After a moment's thought, my sister laughed, and all at once became suddenly gay, as she had been at the picnic. We went out into the country, and lying in the grass, went on with our talk, and looked towards the town where all the windows facing west were like glittering gold because the sun was setting. After that, whenever my sister was coming to see me, Blagova turned up too, and they always greeted each other as though their meeting in my room was accidental. My sister listened while the doctor and I argued, and at such times her expression was joyfully enthusiastic, full of tenderness and curiosity, and it seemed to me that a new world she had never dreamed of before, and which she was now striving to fathom, was gradually opening before her eyes. When the doctor was not there, she was quiet and sad, and now, if she sometimes shed tears as she sat on my bed, it was for reasons of which she did not speak. In August, Radish ordered us to be ready to go to the railway line. Two days before we were banished from the town, my father came to see me. He sat down and, in a leisurely way, without looking at me, wiped his red face then took out of his pocket his own messenger, and deliberately, with emphasis on each word, read out the news that the son of the branch manager of the state bank, a young man of my age, had been appointed head of a department in the exchequer. "'And now look at you,' he said, folding up the newspaper. "'A beggar in rags, good for nothing.' Even working-class people and peasants obtain education in order to become men, while you, a Polozniv, with ancestors of rank and distinction, aspire to the gutter. But I have not come here to talk to you. I have washed my hands of you, he added in a stilted voice, getting up. I have come to find out where your sister is, you worthless fellow. She left home after dinner, and here it is nearly eight, and she is not back. She has taken to going out frequently without telling me. She is less dutiful, and I see in it your evil and degrading influence. Where is she? In his hand he had the umbrella I knew so well and I was already flustered and drew myself up like a schoolboy expecting my father to begin hitting me with it, but he noticed my glance at the umbrella, and most likely that restrained him. "'Live as you please,' he said. "'I shall not give you my blessing.' "'Holy saints!' my nurse muttered behind the door. You poor unlucky child! Ah, my heart bodes ill! I worked on the railway line. It rained without stopping all August. It was damp and cold. They had not carried the corn in the fields, and on big farms where the wheat had been cut by machines, it lay not in sheaves but in heaps and I remember how those luckless heaps of wheat turned blacker every day, and the grain was sprouting in them. 
it was hard to work the pouring rain spoiled everything we managed to do we were not allowed to leave or to sleep in the railway buildings and we took refuge in the damp and filthy mud huts in which the navvies had lived during the summer and i could not sleep at night for the cold and the woodlice crawling on my face and hands and when we worked near the bridges the navvies used to come in the evenings in a gang simply in order to beat the painters it was a form of sport to them they used to beat us to steal our brushes and to annoy us and rouse us to fight they used to spoil our work they would for instance smear over the signal boxes with green paint to complete our troubles radish took to paying us very irregularly all the painting work on the line was given out to a contractor he gave it out to another and this subcontractor gave it to radish after subtracting twenty per cent for himself the job was not a profitable one in itself and the rain made it worse time was wasted we could not work while radish was obliged to pay the fellows by the day the hungry painters almost came to beating him called him a cheat a bloodsucker a judas while he poor fellow sighed lifted up his hand to heaven in despair and was continually going to madame cheprakov for money End of section 4